transition now to uh, opening up our Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. We are continuing in our sermon series, uh, Can I Get a Witness, during the season of Easter, looking at some stories in, in the books of Acts in particular. Uh, and, and the goal of this sermon series is that we would be empowered uh, as people who experience Jesus in our lives, that we would be empowered to be people who go out and witness, who go out and tell about the goodness of our God. And so, having said that, one of the main applications of this sermon, uh, and one of the main applications, it's kind of weird to start with the application. You don't normally start with the application. You normally end with the application. But one of the things that I want to, the main application of this sermon, is I want to encourage you, if you've never done this before, I want to encourage you to, to begin uh, writing out your story. And maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe your story involves uh, how you have become a Christian and how you kind of have been changed. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and that maybe you're just exploring what the, the faith really is. And so I want to invite you, no matter where you are, to begin to write out your story and to begin to tune into how God has particularly been at work or maybe will be at work in your story. And I heard uh, this... One of the you know, best icebreaker questions, if I were to ask you some of the best icebreaker questions you've ever heard, some of you are really good at icebreaker questions. Um, I'm okay at them sometimes. But one of the really good icebreaker questions that I've heard uh, is, is this. If you wrote your autobiography right now, what would be the title of it? Think about that for a second. If you wrote your autobiography right now, how would you title it? What would be your working title? Maybe, maybe it would be like Augustine. Maybe it would be Confessions. <laughs> or maybe it would be like C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy. Right? When I first heard this question, I, I actually thought of the movie The Princess Bride. When, uh, th- this, there's a story here when, you know, when Inigo Montoya, when he meets his, his father's killer, he says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, you know that, right? Oh, Yes. So another application of the sermon is if you have not watched The Princess Bride, you need to immediately go home and do that. But that's a story, right? I mean, that's a story in a nutshell. He tells you his name, and the whole, the whole character's whole life is based around that, right? It's kind of a joke, but the whole, his whole character is built around the fact that this man killed his father, and his whole journey is to go and do justice and kill, you know, return the favor and kill the man who killed his father. So, uh, what would be your title of your autobiography? What would be the title that you would have? Maybe you would be able to write out your whole story. Maybe some of you might just begin. and Maybe some of you might begin with your lowlights. Maybe some of you might think about the, the significant uh, challenges that you've had in your life. Maybe you think about the highlights. Maybe you think about both. But the purpose is often, when we think about our autobiography, uh, when, so often if you go to Barnes & Noble or whatever, you kind of read through the autobiography section and they have these great titles. And so much, so often, an autobi- what's the purpose of an autobiography? People want to write their story for what reason? They want to be known. If I wrote my autobiography, I want you to know me and I want you to know my story. The author W.H. Auden gives his two cents on autobiographies. He says, every autobiography is concerned with two characters. He says, a Don Quixote, the ego, and a Sancho Panza, the self. If you haven't read Don Quixote, in other words, the whole idea is that he's saying, he, that he's just a fancy way of saying, 
so often the autobiography is just about you being known. But the difference with a Christian is that you're not just writing your sto- telling your story about who you are. You're telling a story about how Jesus is the main character in your life. About how Jesus has entered in and changed you. And as we come to this story here in uh, Acts chapter 10, I want us to look at how Peter talks about his story. Because here's what's happening. Let me give you a little context. Peter shows up. Peter is given this vision. And this man named Cornelius is given this vision. And God directs them to end up at the same place together. And they end up at the same place where Cornelius and all these Gentiles are in the same place with Peter and they're say, they ask Peter, tell us your story. Tell us why you're here. We believe that God brought you here to tell us your story. And so when we, go, when we read Acts chapter 10, I want, us, I want you to listen for how Peter tells his story. Because it's really particularly unique that Peter, a Jewish man, would end up with a centurion. This Cornelius was a centurion who was a Gentile. And they end up in the same house. So let's, let's read this passage together. You can follow along with me in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 34 through uh, 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is powerful. Your word has the power to bring the dead to life, to begin new life. Your, your word has creative power. Your word has saving power. Your word has the power to forgive sins. Thank you for the story of Jesus, for his life, his death, and his resurrection, and that we can listen to the witnesses who saw and who heard and who experienced Jesus so that we might go out, be so compelled by this good news of the gospel so that we might go out and be witnesses as well. So I pray that that you would that you would compel us by your word, by your love. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that turn to you in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So if you look back at verse uh, 34 here, Peter's trying to make sense of why God brought him into the home of a stranger with whom he has no connection with, with whom he was not even supposed to be connected with. He didn't even really want to be there. Here is a Jewish man who showed up in the house, and he's talking to a group of Gentiles, and they want to hear him explain who he is and what his story is. And what is the first thing that Peter says? What's the first thing? You can imagine Peter could say all sorts of things. What's the first thing that Peter says in verse 34? First thing that, number one, that he says, it's not about himself. It's not about how he feels, about what he thinks, or about the situation, or even about who he is as a person. He doesn't start with himself. He starts with God. So the, the first thing that we can learn about how Peter tells his story is he begins by talking about God. He begins by talking about who God is and how God acts. Peter looks around at all these strange faces, people that he was supposed to avoid. He's in a room and he's like, I was supposed to avoid all these people. These are the people that I'm not supposed to be around. And he starts not by talking about himself, but by talking about God. And what does he say about God? What's the first thing he says about God? He says, God shows no partiality. You know what that means? (laughs) The good news of the gospel means that the gospel is for everyone. A couple weeks ago, I preached about how the gospel changes everything. We looked at Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and we looked at how not only is the gospel personal, but it's pervasive. The fact that the gospel changes everything. And the gospel doesn't just change everything. The gospel is for everyone. This is extremely significant. This means that God's attitude toward us is not determined by external criterias, right? That's one of the reasons that Jesus came in and was challenging the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were always concerned with the law and with external criteria. They were always asking questions, are you in or are you out? And Jesus comes in and completely blows that up. And that's the first thing that Peter says, God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. This is God's story. And God's story that is important for us to hear is not based on appearance. It's not based on race, on class, on nationality, or heritage. No. This is what makes the gospel, this is what makes Christianity so unique and so distinctive among other religions, is that it includes everybody. That's why it has been spread worldwide. Because the gospel can go to all places, to all people, and say, you belong. That's the good news of the gospel. God includes all kinds of people. And the only thing they have, so, so much so that the only thing they have in common is that they, is Jesus himself. Have you ever been a room, in a room where the only thing you have in common is Jesus? <laughs> if you haven't, maybe that you should try to get in rooms like that. Where you should try to get in rooms with people that are not like you, where the only thing you have in common is Jesus. This is what Peter is in a room with people where the only thing he had in common was this message that he was sharing. God includes all kinds of people. There's no partiality. This, this means that the gospel is for the educated and the uneducated. It means it's for the poor and the rich, the healthy and the sick, the elderly and the young, those who are able-bodied and those who are disabled. The gospel is for everyone. God shows no partiality. And this shaped the way Peter told his story because what we're going to, it's critical, this is the foundation of how Peter's going to tell his story because he, he's in a room 
with people he didn't think he would be in a room with. This shapes the way he tells his story. And I want to challenge you. This is the way, this is, should shape the way we tell our story. You are here because the gospel is for everyone. You're not, unless you have a background in, as, as a Jewish background, you're here, you're, we're all Gentiles. We're here because of this message, because of Acts 10. We've been included. It means that the main theme of your story is that God has included you. And that's what I want you to think about. How has God included you? That's the main theme of all of our stories, is that God has included you in Jesus. And it feels good to be included, does it not? It feels really good to be included. Uh, my daughter uh, has been reading uh, the classic novel, The Outsiders. Um, have you guys watched the movie? Yeah? Yes? Yeah, one of the classic, The Outsiders, written by S.E. Hinton. This is how S.E. Hinton uh, kind of begins the novel uh, in talking about this group of people called, they were called the Greasers, right? And they were always fighting against the Socias. There was this, this group of people that were, these gr two groups of people that were fighting together. And she's talking about the Greasers. And here's how S.E. Hinton begins by talking about the story. She says, they, meaning the Greasers, grew up on the outside of society. But they weren't looking for a fight. They were looking to belong. And that's how the story begins and enters in. They were looking to belong. Because when you look at, when you read the story and when you watch the movie, you kind of think, oh man, these guys are just looking for a fight. But really this whole point of the story is they were just looking to belong. And I, I call this like, uh, yeah, maybe if you can recall being in middle school for a second, maybe some of you are in middle school. Do you remember when you were in middle school and you got your lunch and you would, maybe you brought your lunch, I don't know if you brought your lunch or if you, got your lunch at the cafeteria, but you had that moment where you walked in and there was this sea of people. And you're like, on the first day of school, and you're like, where am I going to sit? Are those kids laughing at me? Like, am I going to be included? Am I going to be excluded? Like, that's that middle school cafeteria moment when you're wondering, are people going to include you or are they going to exclude you? And maybe some of you in here have had moments of where you felt included or moments where you felt excluded. I can tell you, actually, <laughs> when I walk into a room, whether it be the church or whether it be a ball game or whether it be what, no matter where I am, even in my own neighborhood, I still kind of have that middle school experience where I walk, are these people going to accept me? Maybe some of you have come to church for the first time and you're wondering, are these people going to accept me? Am I going to be included in this? Am I going to be excluded? Right? That's a, that's a critical, am I going to belong or am I not going to belong here? Like, that middle school cafeteria moment is lived out in our lives almost every single day when we walk into a group of people, even as adults. Unless I'm alone here, can I get an amen, maybe? Yeah? <laughs> it happens to me every day. And I know it happens to you because we, and it's, it's simply because we, we know we are made for community. I love this as another um, a uh, pastor friend of mine uh, shared this quote this week. He says this, The Bible tells us that we experience loneliness not because something's wrong with us, but because something's right with us. Because we were made for community. And our hearts know that. So often we think, oh, I'm lonely and something's wrong with me. No, something's right with you because you were made to belong. You were made for community. You were made to be somebody who is in, relationships with, in relationship with others. 
And that's the, the critical moments that we walk into. Am I going to belong in this group? Am I going to belong in this community? You know, so often I think of there's three really powerful words that I think are some of the most powerful words in, uh, in the human language. So often, so, you know, I've, I'm not sure if you've experienced this. When you're kind of in that moment, when you're walking into a, a crowd, and then you see somebody, and then they say, oh, there you are. There you are, David. There you are. I've been looking for you. There you are. I've been thinking about you. There you are. I've missed seeing you. You ever experienced those words? Isn't that so powerful? Those are words of belonging, right? So often, I mean, especially in the Southeast, we're, we're so often like, hey, how are you? Maybe we should change it around instead of being like, how are you? Uh, should I fake it or should I not? Like, do you want me to really tell you how I am? Instead of that, maybe we should say, hey, there you are. We should be, the church especially, should be a there you are kind of people. When we see somebody, we should say, hey, there you are. I've been thinking about you. There you are. I love to receive those words and I love to give those words. And I, and I want to challenge us to be people who are there you are kind of people. There you are. I've been, I've been, I've been really praying for you. I've been wondering how you're doing. And like I said, so many of us, maybe you are somebody who, and again, if your story is somebody who, you're somebody who has been either radically included or radically excluded, so often we kind of look at the groups of people, whether they be family or friends or, or whatever it may be, where we, like, either we've been radically included or radically excluded. And uh, I was, this was brought to mind because um, as a staff, Helen Tripp and I were having lunch together. We do that, like, oh, on a, off, on a regular basis, and, and as Helen Kynes is off to do, she kind of digs in and asks very intentional questions. And she asked the question when we were having lunch together, hey, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through? You know, just a typical lunch question. <laughs> These are birthday questions. They were birthday questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Come more context. Once a year, you're right. Once a year. Still, it felt very challenging. <laughs> what's the hardest thing you went through? And the first thing that came to mind is, and I've shared this story before, was the first thing I shared was, well, the hardest thing I had to do was, like, when my mom passed away, I had to bury my mom. I had to, and that was the hardest thing I had to do because I had just buried my dad, like, about two years before that. And my mom was the one who actually I found the most belonging with, who gave me those words of affirmation. And I knew that when I buried her, I wouldn't have that anymore. And it's been, like, 15 years. And I don't have that sense of affirmation from her. I have to almost kind of go back to that. And so even though I've been radically, I was kind of affirmed and included by her, like that was the hardest thing because I knew I wasn't going to have that anymore. You know what I mean? Because we need that. We need that radical affirmation. And so often what we do is, even whether it's family or friends, we put kind of that weight on other people. We say, would you include me, please? Family, friends. And so much of kind of even our own psyche and our own being is based on whether you've been included or excluded. But really, the good news of the gospel is the only one who can give you that right affirmation is Jesus himself. No human being, whether it be your parent or whether it be a spouse, can carry that weight. Only Jesus himself can give you that affirmation. And that is what this story is about. Let's dig in a little deeper. That Jesus includes you. That is, friends, that's... If, if you're a Christian here, that's your story, and I want you to lean into it, and I want you to learn more about it, and I want you to learn how to tell it, to investigate that more about how Jesus has included you. And if you're here and you're exploring the faith, I want you to I challenge you to ex explore how Jesus is 
wanting to include you even now. Let's look back at verses 36 through 38. There's two parts of how Jesus includes you. Okay, I'm going to kind of get a, we're going to go through this passage. We're going to get a little technical here. But there's a few kind of principles I want to draw out. So, first of all, there's two, two moves I want to make here. Jesus calls you and he changes you. First, Jesus calls you and he changes you. That's how he includes you. So, first of all, Jesus calls you. Look at me at verses 36 through 38, where Peter says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves, I love it, you yourselves, you, you probably don't pick up on this. Maybe you would pick up on it if they said y'all, right? In New York City, it's use guys. Use guys. Y'all. Use guys. Have you ever been anywhere else? I think in Arkansas, it's Ewan's. Right? Use guys, y'all. What, no matter what, it means the same thing. We, we, always, we like to say y'all. You yourselves. If, they, if Peter was Southern, he would say y'all. Or if he was New York City, he'd say use guys. Peter's saying, you Gentiles, you know. What, what, what do they know? What do they know? You yourselves, y'all, know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So what happened? What happened in Judea and Galilee? What, that's critical. These people have heard this, but what happened? What is Peter trying to say, what happened? What do they know? That Jesus was calling out the Gentiles during his ministry. That he, was, he went through Judea and Galilee. He didn't just go to the Jews. He went to the Gentiles. And the best example that I can give is John chapter 4. I preached on this a few months ago where John goes to the Samaritan woman. But he, he goes, he's traveling from you know, Judea to Galilee, and he has to go through Samaria. This is not what Jews did. They went around, right? He goes through Samaria because why? He wants to include. Because so much of Jesus' ministry and what he did during his ministry, was including people that were not a part of Israel. He goes right through Samaria. To Samaria. He meets a Samaritan woman, and he talks with her. And what does he do? He tells, his, he tells her her story. And then he draws her out, and he draws out her story. The Gentiles knew that many people had stories like the Samaritan woman because Jesus' ministry was all about including people. There were so many people who were affected by the fact that he came and including them. He went out of his way to find people. He went out of his way to go search for them. This is what so many of the parables are about. He goes out of his way to look for you so that he can call out to you, so that he can include you. And you know this is true for you too. If, part, if you were to write part of your story, you're here, why are you here? <laughs> Why are you here right now? Why do you show up on a Sunday morning for worship? Why are you here? My hope is, is that because this is true for you. Because Jesus has called you. He actually has found you, right? It's like the, the other part of that, there you are. It's like, oh, I was looking for you. That's what Jesus says to you in your story. He's like, there you are. I found you. Isn't it so, I mean, kids, like, tell me, you know, it's fun to go play to hide and seek. It's fun to go hide. But then, like, especially with little kids, they want to be found. You know what I mean? It's like this when the giggling starts. You say, oh, there you are. I found you, right? And the giggling starts. 
That's actually the story of, <laughs> that's your story and my story. Jesus comes and he's like, oh, there you are. I found you. That is your story. Jesus found you. No matter where, wherever you were hiding, wherever you were trying to even hide right now, Jesus is looking for you. He's searching for you. And he will even orchestrate events in your life. Maybe, maybe some of you can even give testimony to this. He will orchestrate events in your life just so that he can show himself to you. He came into this world so that he could draw you to himself. He doesn't just come and go straight to the cross just to get his agenda done. He's about relationship. Jesus is about relationship because he wants to call you, not just so that he, you can be a number, but so you can be a name in relationship with him. He spends time seeking you out so that he can include you in his story. So that's what I want you to think about. How has Jesus sought you out? How is he even seeking you out now? How has he called you? So not only that, but it's also Jesus changes you. Jesus called people to be a part of his story, all kinds of people. But his ministry doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop when he calls you. He wants to change you. And look at me at the end of verse 38. Get back to the text here. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus' story is not just going about all sorts of links to call you, but he wants to change you. What does that mean? It actually means that Jesus' story is about giving you freedom. And I don't want to step on Sarah because I know Sarah's going to be talking about this. This actually lined up really well. Because Jesus' story is actually about giving you freedom. Especially freedom from what the text says from the devil. Do you know what the main work of the devil is? The Bible describes that. What's the main work of the devil? To accuse you. Right? To accuse you. To say, you're not good enough. You're not worthy to be found. Go hide. You can't believe that. You can't believe that you're good. Or that Jesus would even care about you. Right? Those, you ever hear those words of accusation in your own mind, in your own heart? That's, Jesus wants to change you. He wants, you to, he wants to, to give you words of affirmation and acceptance. That you are forgiven. That's actually what Satan's name means. He is the accuser. He wants you to feel excluded. That's his work, is to make you feel excluded. And Jesus' work is exactly the opposite. Do you see that? His work is exactly the opposite of the accuser. His work is to come and to tell you, no, I love you, and I'm going to do work for you. And the irony of it all is, is that Jesus himself was excluded. <laughs> Immediately when he came, his people, he came to his people, and his people didn't receive him. During his entire ministry, he was excluded. He was excluded by the people that loved him the most, his disciples. Even on the cross, he was excluded by God the Father himself. He experienced exclusion so that you could experience what it means to be included. Look at verse 30, 43. So that you could be included. So that everyone that believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He went through all of that exclusion so that he might forgive you. And isn't it beautiful? It doesn't just, it doesn't just kind of, it's not just a transaction. It's not just like he forgives you of your sins. He get through his name. He actually puts his name on you. That, that, that shows love and care. That when you give somebody your name, it shows that you, they belong to you, right? You belong to Jesus in your baptism because in your baptism, you've been given the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
God includes you through the forgiveness of sins. And he wants to, he wants to free you from the oppression of the devil so that we can belong to Jesus and have the forgiveness of sins. Stick with me here for a second. I want to keep going through the end of this passage, and then we'll have some final applications. And Jesus does it, his story doesn't end at the cross. Look at verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. <laughs> Even after Jesus rose from the dead, he spends time with his disciples. Isn't that, doesn't that show you who God is? God is a relational God, not just a transactional God. He's a relational God who wants to include you. He spent time eating and drinking. How much, isn't that the, one of the most common ways, one of the most, obviously the greatest way you can include people is to invite them into your home and to eat and drink with them, right? And Jesus does that. He eats and drinks with those that he appeared to after his resurrection. Friends, the whole story of scriptures were about Jesus including us and how he wanted us to be his people. The whole story of scripture is about how he wants to include you, how he wants to change you. And the, the freedom that Jesus gives doesn't mean that you have the freedom to do what you, kind of be who you want to be, right? You can say, okay, well, Jesus is giving me the freedom to be who I want to be. No, Jesus gives you the freedom to be who he wants you to be, right? That's when we talk about abiding in Christ. When, when you are called and into a relationship with Jesus, you abide with him. You, you become somebody who is in relationship with him so that you become more like him. It means that you have the freedom who, to be who God wants you to be. So I want you to think about that as you're thinking about your story. As, as you think about particularly how God has been at work in changing you. How has God not only called you, but how is he changing you to become more like him? How is he particularly freeing you from the accusations of the evil one? And how is he giving you that freedom to live with him? And again, just as a plug, Sarah Reed's going to talk more about this at our family meeting. I mean, this is, this is what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is male nor female. But all are one in Christ. Paul goes to great lengths. The Bible goes to great lengths to talk to us about how we are included in Jesus. And I want to give a couple of applications to this before I hit the conclusions. Number one, I want you to think about not only your story, your job is to tell your story about how God included you, but how are your actions, how are we as a church including or excluding people? In your own life, for example, right now, all of us have ways we're including people and then we're excluding people. And again, I told you, we're, we're called to be village church. We're called to be people who are including others, who are saying, oh, there you are. You, you belong. You belong because Jesus is inviting you to call upon him. Because the Bible tells us everyone who calls upon his name for salvation will be saved. You can invite people. You can include them. How are we, we need to be, th be thinking about that. How are we including and excluding people in our church? We have work to do on that. We have work to do on 
thinking through this, not only individually, but strategically as a church, to think through how we can live out Acts 10, how we can be people who include, how we can be people who give that message and who are witnesses, who tell our story. Hey, God included us, and the good news is he includes you too. Call upon him. Call upon him for salvation. Not only that, I do want to take a minute just to, just to even follow up on my prayer that this is a time for us to actually not only question who we are and kind of individually kind of search that out, but also to look at how the church has done this as a whole in our history and to say, hey, this was not right. And that's why it's important for us as a church to say, hey, there's, there's been particular ways our church, the, meaning the, the church in the, in the United States and its history, has excluded a group of people. How white supremacy especially has excluded a whole group of people. And we need to say, hey, that's not right. We've got to condemn that. Because this, that is not the work of the gospel. That is contrary to the work of the gospel. And so I want you to hear me say that. That, that is not the way that the gospel was intended to go out. It was meant to include. And any work that excludes, especially the history of our nation and the church and how white supremacy has affected the church, as, as we admitted before, we have to condemn that. And I want you to hear me say we condemn that. Moving along to the conclusion, getting back to you writing your story, I think about there's, three, there's sort of three ways I want to include you, or I want to um, encourage you to think about your story, the three main points. And I think back to, uh, to Gigi did this really well when she shared her story uh, a few months ago. There's three parts. You give your background. If you think about how to write your story out, you give your background, how, how Jesus called you, kind of, that's their second part, and then how Jesus has changed you. I thought Gigi did such a great job. We can go back and listen to that uh, on, our, on our website. But I, I don't want to let you off the hook here. Let's look at verse 42 as I close. One more time in this passage. Verse 42, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify. So I want you to think about even right now, and, and Clint has done this before in, in, in some of our family meetings, think about one person you could even share your story with. And your story doesn't have to be perfectly crafted right now, but maybe one person that you could think about you want to share your story with. Or maybe one person even that you want to think about including that you feel like has been excluded. Who is one person you can think about in your life to either share your story with or to include? We were called to be people who tell the world that Jesus has included them. I'm going to conclude with a, a quote from, it's actually a comedian named Penn, Penn Gillett. He's an outspoken atheist. He's very outspoken in his atheism. And this is what he says, listen carefully, about, about being witnesses. He says, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who do not proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and there's atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, who just say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize to them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. (laughs) This is an atheist saying that. Friends, we have good news. We have the best news that the world could ever experience. It's beautiful news. Friends, we are called to be witnesses, to go out and to share the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come, he has loved this world so much that he's given his life for you so that you could be included, so that you could experience his love, so that you can be compelled by it, so that you could go out and proclaim that news to the world. That's why we are here, so that we can embody the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the challenge that we have, Lord, to, to be your people. Lord, we are, we are good news people. We are people who have received the good news of Christ. I pray that we would be so compelled by that good news that we would know our own story, that we could tell it. Not perfectly, but just so that we could just, you would use us to be your people. Lord, who, who tell the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.